Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yes, welcome to Hip Hop Save My Life Series 2. It's been a long time coming. Series 1 was, what, over three years long? This is Series 2, and uh, I've just had an awful experience where I, I got onto, I got up, I put my tracksuit on, I got onto the spin bike in our house, and like I did it for like two minutes, and like, I had this like psychological block. Like, I, I just couldn't, well, it wasn't psychological, it was physical. I asked to get off, and I thought, let me regroup, let me get myself together, got back on it. Same thing happened again. I think of like my laziness like evolved. It's like mutated into some new thing that I'm gonna to have to deal with. I mean, I did the hard part. I got onto the thing. I was ready. I was good to go. And then my brain and body just went, "Nah, man, you're not doing this." Has anyone else experienced this? Can you please let me know because I'm freaking out a bit. Anyway, today's episode of Hip Hop Saved My Life is a biggie. It is Mark Ronson, megastar, hip hop DJ, hip producer, uh, pop what, is pop star. Yeah, I guess you know. I mean, he's a me- like he's done. I mean, come on, mate, you did Uptown Funk. That's massive, wasn't it? Um, his knowledge of hip-hop and his love for hip-hop is immense, and he's got some wicked stories, and uh, it's a great episode, man. He was... Uh, he makes me look high energy. So there you go. That's something to listen out for. Um, but I hope you enjoy the episode. Series 2. Who thought that we were going to come back for a Series 2? Huh? We made it. We made it, even though this series thing is completely self-appointed. Anyway... Hip Hop Saved My Life, Mark Ronson, enjoy it. This is the Hip Hop Saved My Life podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Now sit back, because it's time for the podcast. Okay, welcome to Hip Hop Saved My Life. Uh, we normally do some uh, chit chat at the beginning of this, but we've got a special guest, so we want to get straight into it. You How should. are you, uh, Rupert, by the way? I should ask that. I'm really good. I'm excited about today. About what's happening about, after this yeah. or about this? No, the, just this guest, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, we are delighted to say that we are joined by the legendary Mark Ronson. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the podcast. We yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm psyched to be here. Someone told me it was important. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that might be me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to be honest. Like already from talking to you for five minutes, I could tell that this is my kind of like podcast. But I live in the states. I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. Sure. So someone just said like this is the most important music podcast in England. I was like, great. Wow. Who said that? Yeah, I can't believe because I don't even think they said that. Really? I don't think we even say that in the blurb. Yeah. Okay. But uh, we can now attribute that quote to you. Okay, yeah. yeah Wicked. That's great, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's actually a good way, sorry, yeah. to, to 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 use like attributable quotes. Like yeah. if somebody said, like, I can't believe someone said this is the best <laughs> podcast in England, and then the quote is just like, this is the best. Podcast. Yeah, mate. Loads of comedians do that. <laughs> yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mo- many comedians. Do movie that. review posters too. Yeah. How's life? Good. Yeah, life is pretty good. I'm just, you know, been back in England for a week and. This is still sort of when it comes to music and releasing music has always been like the key kind of like, I hate to use the word, but like territory because it's always where I've got the most love. And even though I was born here and kind of like spent a bit of my life here, I've really kind of grown up most of my life in the States. So always back here when I have new music. So you feel American, dear, would you say? I feel feel like an English person who is a New Yorker. Right. Not like Sting, because that's like that kind of sounds crazy. Because it literally sounds like I'm about to break into Englishman in New York. How, how long did you live in London for before you moved? Out? I lived in London till I was eight, mm. and then my mom uh, remarried this dude. He was English as well, but he lived in New York, so then we moved there. And then, like around the age of thirty, like ten years ago, I came back here and lived here for about ten years. And how depressing did you find it? Because, sorry, that's a very. What I mean by that is, I do love we love London, but it does. If you come here from a different environment, it's quite claustrophobic and a bit on top of you, right? No, because coming from New York, New York and London are really, really similar in some ways. New York is a little bit more fast-paced. My thing was crazy coming here. Like, obviously, I would come here 
twice a year to visit my dad and have the holidays. But when I first started coming back here as a DJ, or as like having my first record out, um, I made this whole record in in the states. Like got signed by Electra because like there were all these DJ compilations at the time. Clue, Flex, basically anyone at a New York City club residency, they're just like handing you a record contract. It was before Napster and whatever. Yeah. So I made this record just thinking about clubs I DJed in New York, what I wanted to do, and like. It came out, and you know, to quote Pharaoh Munch, went wood in the hood. <laughs> so, um, but like here in uh, in England, Uwe was like this minor hit, and really, yeah, kind of, big hit, man. Yeah, I, it, it kind of blew up, and and I came back, and I was suddenly like DJing like these gigs, and being like, oh, of course, it makes sense that like the music will resonate here, because really, inherently, my musical taste and everything in me is kind of pretty English. Like my seminal years were spent here, so. It was kind of like nice and reconnecting. You know, it wasn't like I went to some random Eastern European country as the only place that liked my music and was like, these people get me. <laughs> like, it was way more like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, how could I have kind of neglected, you know, just growing up on radio that, you know, as a kid that played Duran Duran next to Althea and Donna and Bill Withers and whatever else, De La. Um, so ever since then, and then coming back here is how I really ended up eventually kind of hooking up with Lily Allen and Amy Winehouse and th those are the things that really kind of jump-started my career so yeah oh, I, that was more like I just gave you my career in a nutshell and all that's you asked good, was if me. I found London claustrophobic no that's good that's, that's, that's what, that was the genius of the question okay I oh, knew yeah. it was going to spread out like that but you're living in LA now is that right? I live in LA because that's where all my work is for the past five or six years and I was living in London still and I was just going to LA all the time and I was just like, you know what? I kind of hate LA, like to live there. I love working there because you like dip in, mm. get work done, get out. But uh, I just thought I'll live here for a couple of years, put my head down, maybe I'll work hard and then I can have a bit more freedom to say where I want to. And I'm coming to about that time's up period. And that's a bad that's, No, that's definitely shouldn't use that expression <laughs> at this point. Did uh, the end of the road of my time in LA. And, uh, and, uh, I hope nothing happens to any member of Boys to Men between now and this interview comes out. Um, are they all still with us? They are. They yeah, are they are, still yeah, in yeah. Vegas. Okay. Yeah. In are the best way. Vegas? They do have a massive Vegas show yeah. as the residency and deservedly so with that catalog. So I think that, uh, yeah, I think that I just know that I can't really live in LA. It just doesn't do it for me. I know some people go there, they're like, they love this. Friends of mine from England or other places like the sunshine, the weather. I think you either just like love it and you just want to embrace the whole thing or you just realize it's kind of a little bit like not for you. It's a weird one because I was there for like six months, like year before last. Well, you just decided to go there? You had we a... were doing, I was doing this like comedy documentary out there. Okay. And uh, I took my whole family because they were in the show as well. What was the documentary? It's this thing for Showtime called Just Another Immigrant. Okay. So it's just like me. Basically, I, I booked the Greek theatre with no cool. profile, and then I had three months to try and sell it out. That was the that was the Did premise you get of the it? show. <laughs> Fuck no. Okay. I think we sold was it six thousand at the Greek, and I we sold two hundred and seventy tickets. So. Okay. So it was close. And did you do the Greek? Yeah. You did it too? Great. Well, we ended up getting it. We got everyone on stage. Okay. And then we just oh, closed that thing. And then so the gig was on the stage. But it was expensive. Yeah. Um, but it was weird because like all of the tick boxes of yeah. what you'd want from a place are yeah. there, right? Yeah. Like you can live healthily out there. Uh, there's Universal Studios down there. I've got three young kids. The sunshine and all that. We had a pool in the back garden, which we don't, you know, obviously there's no, there's no fucking point in having that here. Yeah. And all of that. So it ticked all those boxes, but I just didn't. Yeah, I think that's it. I think you go there and you either like, you, you either just like see it as something you crave and you kind of just take it all on or you just like, you try your hardest. And, and I've definitely tried. And uh, I just think it's, it's a, there's so many great people to work with. I have family there. There's things about it that I really love, but as far as like on a day off on a Sunday, like I have no idea what to do with myself. It's like yeah, crazy. Yeah. Like this is my seventh hike of the day. I have to find <laughs> I have to find something else that's slightly more soul nourishing. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Some of the things about LA and like I feel like a little bit like sometimes I'm like too embarrassed to say out loud, but this is the truth. Like yes, I like meditate. I go yeah. to Pilates in the gym and kind of do eat healthier. I'm up at like six fifteen with my dogs and stuff. And so like there's some things I'm pretty 
I am grateful for and probably need at this point in my life, but I'd like to now incorporate them into living in a place where I'm not miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could take what I learned in LA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can get up at 6.15 in other places, can't you? I mean, yeah. How well known were you when you got Ghostface to come on Uwe? Was that like a big... Did it blow your mind that you managed to get him on there? Or not what? well enough that he knew how to say my name right, because he does say Bronson. <laughs> Is that him? He says Mark Ron as well. Was that he got special guest star yeah. Mark Bronson. Oh, Saigon oh, goes. I got Mark yeah. Ron back yeah. in here. Be new to the game, but it's a damn shame what a brother about to do to the game. I got Mark Ron backing me up. I'm already on a song with Nate Dogg. Why you wanna hate Dogg? No, I, w- I guess I was pretty, like, in this little club world in, in New York, I was pretty well known because um, there was, like, this downtown scene that was, like, not the, necessarily the giant, like, the funk master flex at the tunnel, um, like, 2,500 people in a club, like, going through metal detectors and stuff, like, that wasn't, so I wasn't... I would open for flex sometimes at, like, other clubs, but my little, like, downtown scene, these clubs, five 600 people, would be, like, this melting pot of like your rap celebrities would be like Graham Poole Brand Nubian Guru Jay-Z and Biggie would like sometimes show up I remember Big Pun coming one time and like the fire alarm kept going off in the club because they kept having to open like the fire door so you could breathe because it was like hot and sweaty you know he's such a big dude (laughs) and so like I so I had this little notoriety in in that world which was cool and, and enough that like there would be like street team guys from Bad Boy that would like come with the test pressing of like once I remember playing a test pressing of Hypnotize for like the first time in the club. Wow. Like they'd, they'd go hip flex and those people first, and then I'd be kind of like the next person they come see. I guess it was like this this path that like Stretch Armstrong sort of blazed. Like yeah. he was like the first like incredible, super adept. I mean, he had the radio show, so it was on a much different level. But like downtown white club DJ that yeah. like could rock any crowd and I kind of came up sort of quite hero worshipping him and I remember him being like fairly annoyed because I would steal some of his mixes because I was like 18 <laughs> you don't even know you think you're yeah, just think paying tribute yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. so um, yeah I guess I was a little bit known like that I'm sure someone in the Wu camp would have been like oh yeah that's that Mark Ronson he played the downtown parties or whatever it is like that's what that would have been Kind of the thing. I mean, I'd had probably like a small page feature in the source and vibe and XXL at that point. But um, the main thing with rap is like at that, especially at that time, it's like, can you cut a check for twenty five grand tomorrow? <laughs> so you know. But I'll never forget like when Ghost, because Ghost, for some reason, whether it's the beats he picked, how great he is, the pr- like proficiency without like making a lot of like kind of mediocre shit like he's just always been my favorite woo like, yeah. solo mm-hmm. artist and I think a lot not that unique in saying that so when he called me up he was like he got the beat and it, you know the ooey beats a little live and like colorful and he was like ah oh, yeah yeah so so like some Tony Monero like and I was like oh yeah it's a John Travolta character in Saturday Night Live like he's his pop culture references of mine is so fucking I'm sure he's got some like his IQ is probably pretty crazy as well yeah. like, he's like yeah some Tony Monero like flash it right and I was like yeah of course like whatever you want to do because I knew there was going to be no Good way that it was going to be bad anyway. right, right. so I was like yeah yeah but I was like they're just like these little pinch yourself moments where you're just like, I'm on the phone with Ghostface yeah, Killer, yeah. like this is crazy, like holding a Sony wireless cordless phone, like when people used to have like home phones and shit. You come across as obviously come across as a very cool guy, but if you're on the phone to Ghostface, does any of that get eroded, or are you still being how you are now? I like I I think I was just like whenever those like phone calls, especially early on with those people, I just remember my your stomach yeah. like the yeah. butterfly. You're just alive. You're like just thinking like don't say anything stupid, don't say anything stupid, or like just be cool. I don't know. I think I was very monosyllabic, like playing it safe. And then I do remember also with Nate Dog, like when he did the hook, he. He was on Electra, so that's the label that I was on, and Sylvia Ron was like able to get him because at the last minute we had this Ghostface verse and this beat that felt pretty good, but like no hook. Um, so she was like, "Send it to Nate, and uh, I'll get in and see what he does as a hook." So 
I sent it to him, you know, I think it was like, the album has to be handed in like two days later. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, you know, it's through managers and they give me his number because he sends the stuff on a weekend. And I opened the session that he sent me on my computer Pro Tools and there's just like nothing in there. There's all these like blank things where the audio files would be. So like, as a fucking nerd and whatever i'm like oh i understand he probably saved the thing but didn't realize the files were on another disc like i can hear your readers falling asleep your listeners <laughs> as i'm doing it anyway so i call him and i have to no, like they're really into files actually yeah. all these guys are so they were they were aifs so i uh i said so i have to call nate dog and i'm like dreading this it's like a fucking saturday there's no chance but to do it so i like call him i'm like hey what what's he's like who's this i'm like this is mark ronson like you, i did that song with ghostface you know that you did that the hook for he's like oh yeah, yeah i did that hook i sent it to you i was like yeah no see the thing is um he's like no i'm sure i sent it i know what i did it i was like no no yeah but i think what you might have done is probably i can you turn on your computer right now? <laughs> That's like, right. And like so, a help desk. Yeah, so he's he's like So we're on the phone and he's like he's like, man, I was like, I'm so sorry. And it's just like I can just tell I woke him up. It's in LA at three hours early. He's just like just trying to make it to the fight, man. I was like, because I was like, that sounded so prolific and like deep. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. So then we get to him, we finally get to the thing. And then like, I think that night there was like one of those giant, like uh, live from Vegas boxing matches with Tyson. And like, there's Nate Dogg in the front row. And he was literally saying like, I'm just trying to make it to the fight. Like we have to get off the phone now because I'm going to Vegas. That's so funny. So that was it. And then at the final part of that story is just that, like, Nate Dogg, what he had written as the chorus was the, when I step into the party, other ladies want to know. And I first heard it, and I was like, oh, and like, my heart sank, like, a tiny bit, because I was like, this is very busy for a chorus, because you got this ghost face, very, like, busy, like, a colorful verse straight yeah. into this Nate Dogg thing and he just had like this little ad lib that Nate Dogg that he put at the beginning of the song that was like ooh wee ooh wee like at the top and I was like okay like maybe if I make that the hook and like kind of the bridge just probably what anybody with like two minds would have heard hearing that with a little perspective but uh yeah it was it was kind of like uh it was a little flip and so you didn't decide you didn't think about finding Ghostface Killer and asking him to redo your name at all no, no. I guess it's like it's like Bronson because it's like Charles Bronson just yeah. sounds tougher. Like Mark Bronson is like it's almost like shouting out your CPA or something. <laughs> it's like it is funny. I just felt it was like a badge of honor or something. Yeah. I went to see the Gods of Rap. Oh, yeah. Do you know How this Gods it? of Rap tour? It was mm. great. It was, it was like Della, I've heard of it. Who was it? It was Della Soul, Public Enemy. And uh, oh, it's happening now. It I, saw yeah, yeah. In, I saw a billboard in I saw billboard in Germany for it. Right, yeah. So <clears throat> they did Wembley like last week, and yeah, I saw P and Wu Tang. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and Premier was doing uh, bits in between. It's fucking like yeah, absolute crazy. wet dream for a hip hop yeah. fan. But um, when Wu Tang came out, Ghostface, I just don't think there's ever going to be a time when he looks out of date or or yeah. part, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like. The way he looked, I know. His, just everything about just his him. His demeanor, like he just feels, yeah, he he's... just feels current. Yeah, in whenever it just yeah. doesn't. You can just imagine he's going to be eighty, and you still just think that guy's cool as fuck. It's so mad. There's just certain voices, and I guess it's like it's nice to adapt to the times when making music and understand what's new and relevant voices in hip hop and people that are exciting that I might want to work with, but like. I just can't help it. Like, I'm fucking 43 years old. Like, every mm. time I make a beat, like, I want to hear Ghostface on it. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> there's, like, you know, that's why he was on the Amy track, You Know I'm No Good, and, yeah. and also on a, um, on my album record collection on a slightly more forgettable song that was a duet with me. But I just, uh, yeah, I just, like, he just has one of those voices that, like, just brings, like, anything to life, you know? It's, like, pretty magical. Why you acting like you're more trouble than Tony Starkson? You need to just walk away like Kelly Clarkson. I know we was free to sleep around town, but I figured you said that. Cause how I get down, now, of course, you was out there messing around. I would have told you, once you go ghost, you never go back. Try GME, like, I don't know how to Mac. I'm a darning, top of the line. I stay flying, stop trying. Did you see the documentary yet, though, of my... Mike's a man. man, I've not watched it yet. Have you seen it? Is it good? No. Is that, yeah. 
Is it cinema? Showtime. No, it's oh, Showtime. It's, oh, yeah. it, you can't didn't they also, show. don't you also have a show yeah, you Showtime? Can, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they gave you a login code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, can watch it, yeah. Yeah, I'm part of the inner circle at Showtime. You still still are. No, no, that show no, got no, cancelled, no. and I imagine the, the login's out of date now. But what's the, uh, the password? What would that be on here then? Because there's no Showtime in the UK, right? No, there isn't. But there was a. I think it might be like Amazon. Or, there was okay. a way to watch It'll it. Be, there was a way to watch it. There's, yeah. So yeah, I watched it, and it actually, I'm such a obviously such a fucking fan. Like I saw in the newspaper in the New York Times that there was a Times talk, like this series of talks that they do, like Guardian. I'm sure they do it too here. Um, where you could go and watch a moderated talk with Rizza. You can't just say the names without being like, the Rizza, the Jizza, <laughs> all dirty. So it was the Rizza, Jizza, You Got Master Killer, and uh, an inspector deck with Sasha Jenkins, who made the doc um, yeah. at City College in New York. So, like, just like a fucking dumb super fan. I was like, four tickets, please. And I went and saw it. And it was like a week before the documentary, and it was it was also very cool. I mean, the thing that the documentary really like hones in on, and that you you see in their dynamic when they're sitting there, they've made their peace with all this, the inner turmoil and dynamics and financial things. But it's there's still an air of like there's these individual camps within it, and it feels like there's still some unresolved things. I could be projecting but um yeah and and you see that in the documentary and then there's also a lot of fucking incredible old footage of like when they were kids shit you've never mm. seen shit you're like who the fuck was filming that like them in the studio making protect your neck and stuff. yeah yeah it's a weird one isn't it because like do you remember the show which was that that uh, yeah the Wu-T- the def jam yeah yeah and then i remember like because i was such a fanboy of wu-tang and then i remember seeing like i think it was like you god having an argument with meth and I you remember getting really upset I remember uh, getting yeah. really upset like, I thought they were like fucking crew man I want yeah. to see them arguing with each other <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean and then everything you read about them for a while was just like non-stop falling out and shit like that yeah it? I think there was probably some egos and some and then everybody wanted to get off the, the the management I mean the production contract with Rizzo and they talk pretty honestly about that in the thing but they all have, have like aged incredibly well everybody still mm. kind of looks like a method like has his backpack on he literally looks the same as he did on like your own TV rats in like 96 you know he didn't show did he he wasn't there no do you know why he didn't get his visa sorted because he announced it on Instagram like just well no sorry that was an allegation I've just made I don't know if it was a visa (laughs) issue but I do know that he said in advance we're not I'm not coming but public Flavor Flav wasn't there with public enemy same excuse well Chuck D said it was like he said it wasn't Public Enemy. He said it's Public Enemy Radio, Public Enemy's auxiliary oh, unit. Really? So they've renamed the band because Flavor Flavor That's whenever he can't show up. <laughs> right. It was still amazing. I mean, it's yeah, still cool. fucking amazing, but like... Yeah. Yeah, it was different. But yeah, I, I sort of... Because um, they've just had a, dist- like a district named after them, haven't they? Like, it yeah, seems in like, Staten Island. Yeah. yeah. And also, have you read this book? There's a book by Will Ashen. Have you read this book? No. There's a book about the importance the of 36 Chambers, about 36 Chambers, oh, just specifically that album. It's amazing. It's just so crazy. Like, there hasn't been anything that was like, that's, I'm not going to say there hasn't been anything because there have been like other little things along the way, but like, it's such a cultural force that like, like, and that just affects like suburban kids and like everybody, like in this way that like the way we wear the clothing, like it's just like such a fucking, it was such a crazy. Well, movement. having that great logo helps, I think. I mean, having a great logo does a lot of good, doesn't it? It does. It's and fucking amazing. They talk in the dark about the guy who got paid 60 bucks like, to design <laughs> oh, that the logo. Designer. Their boy, yeah. God. I think it was Mathematics, actually, the right, DJ, right, right. who just who also designed that that logo. And then also there was an issue that the, the thing that I remember being really upset about was that because they started well they, they, they'd identified I, I mean I haven't seen of Mites and Men so I don't know if this comes from the thing but they'd ident- Rizzo had identified Meth as like the breakout star you know because of the charisma and his voice and all that and obviously they did showcase him on the album and then they all started to like really sort of get excited about their own stuff and so they had a problem of them like saving their best verses right. for their solo projects yeah, and then yeah. just turning up to the to the group re- recordings with just like some <laughs> shit they're knocking about at the back of their notebook, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you started in um, New York as a hip-hop DJ. Yes. What was um, the path in up? I was I was playing in like I was super always into music, playing instruments. I was in some bands when I was in high school, getting really into rap, like fifteen, sixteen. This is like ninety one. So there was like Black Moon, Pete Rock, CL Smooth, you know, Tribe, like uh, second album, just like that with Deep Cover, like th- these kind of like really like seminal records were coming out around that time. Maybe that was 93. And I was listening to a lot of radio and we we're just trying to get like rappers on stage with the band, but like we were not the fucking roots. We sounded like a bar <laughs> band with rappers on it. So we, so we, uh, so I was just like, what What can I, like, I need to play this music all the time. I can't do it in this band. I didn't really know anything about producing at the time. So I got turntables for my whatever graduation present. And I just started listening to Stretch on the radio and trying to emulate, like, what I heard them doing. And I loved all, like, the classic breaks from funk and soul. So I spent a lot of time going to, like, the conventions and finding, like, the original breaks and samples and stuff like that. Something about having those really, like, I don't know, turn me on. And so I just started DJing like tiny like house parties and running anywhere that anyone would let me mm. bring my speakers and turntables, in, in, you know, in New York and DJing at university. And then one summer I was just kind of taking around my mix CD, like just to club promoters to try and like, you know, just get a break. And this one guy, Carlos, who did this party with Stretch Armstrong called Nut and Honey, just took a chance on me, liked me, whatever. He was like, this kid's what, cheap labor, it doesn't matter. So I got this gig opening for Stretch, and I think uh, I think it sort of just like started from there. Right. Uh, so mostly it was like these smaller hip-hop clubs, and then there was this club called Life in New York that, that was kind of this glitzy place that started off as this like Euro-y model kind of like joint with this VIP room, and then I started DJing there, and then because I was playing hip-hop and stuff, suddenly... Prince, Rick Rubin, Puffy, Jay-Z, like all these people, Chris Rock, like all these people would be coming down, like mixing with the regular crowd. And it was like this really high end. Like I remember some nights like Jay-Z and Damon at one table, like and Puff and his crew at another. And I was just playing Bad Boy record, Rockefeller record, Bad Boy for And they were just like, like, Incredible. you know, singling at each other there. There's some like wild, I got to see some really great shit. I mean, like I remember, um, DJing and uh, like Biggie and Jay-Z coming down I think it was it was Biggie's birthday so they were wearing like these matching white kind of like slick pimp hats or something like mm. you know like it's probably 25 years old 24 is crazy so yeah it was that that was kind of how I made my name does uh does being white uh, advantage you or disadvantage you in that in that time being a hip hop DJ or does it make no difference? I don't. It's difficult it, to know, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, I don't think it really made a difference. I only had like very few exact like kind of instances where I'd like be coming out of the club and somebody would just start shooting because I was white. But I think that I was pretty like to myself. You're in the corner of the thing as long as you're like rocking it, like and everyone's mm. having a good time. There'd be like occasionally one or two times I'd be playing like. Because, like, about eight years into, like, DJing is is when, like, you know, okay, I've been playing hip-hop, R&B, and, like, dancehall for ten years. Like, just getting, not bored, but, like, a little restless trying to mix some other shit into it. Yeah. Seven Nation Army was out. There was some new kind of interesting rock shit Come that on, felt Arlene, interesting. Come on, Arlene, Midnight Runner. Yes, exactly. Like the year was 1982. <laughs> <laughs> uh so like <laughs> what a what a fucking shout by the way mate yeah. that was insane that's such a good song <laughs> um I'd be playing shit like Back in Black by ACDC things that are kind of like break BD anyway mm, yeah, and like yeah. occasionally like 
you know, the, like the, the DJ booth is here in the bank. There's a banquette behind you with some high rolling kind of like drug dealer dude who spent like a lot of money to have a bottle and tables and girls around. And he's suddenly hearing this loud guitar and he's like leaning over the booth and be like, what the fuck are you playing, white boy? <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> Would you then immediately change the track or... Stick with it. Uh, I, 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 just to save face and pride, I'd get through a chorus, but I'd be like hurriedly queuing up the next doing. record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is the mix I planned. <laughs> um, but it was fun. like my mom was like this kind of like very wild, colorful like character. And she used to like come down to the clubs where I was DJ and she had this like kind of like funky like jewelry and this big like peroxide blonde hair. And like she'd be like hanging out in the booth and I'd be kind of really embarrassed because I was like wanted anything to get away from the fact that I came from this like nice uptown like rock star like family like I was just like wanted to be down in hip hop and was kind of like you know when you're a kid and you're like immature and you're like like fuck my family all this shit yeah, I just yeah. wanted you know yeah, yeah. And, and but to everybody else it just looked like a hilarious and humorous so like oh look Mark's <laughs> mom's in the fucking club like this is great and I'd be like mom <laughs> and now I look back on it and I, I, I realize I was being a little bit like uh, immature I, I, when I was at uni like a mate of mine he used to DJ and I used to just shout over the top of his mixes like with a mic or just with a mic yeah, yeah. and not just like a <laughs> fucking nutcase has wandered in but like uh, I remember right. we played a brand Nubian track and it had like a bit of like a, the Muslim call to prayer on it yeah and the DJ booth, like loads of Muslim guys just started fucking hammering on the glass because they're just like, I'm out. Like in a, in a good way. Like, no, 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 no. This is what the fuck you doing playing yeah. this? Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, they weren't happy at all. I've, like, it wasn't. Was even, it Alu or Akbar? Yeah, yeah, time, yeah right? it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, we were sort of. Uh, I mean, to be honest, the clues in the name that it might. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. That that's gonna, but we just didn't realise, or he didn't realise. Yeah. Um, and they were fucking banging on the. It oh, was, wow. like, It was actually properly frightening. Okay, it was incendiary. Yeah. And then you quickly drop <laughs> like, oh it. my God, yes, oh my God. And then the Christians were like going nuts, banging on the thing. Then I played Jesus. So what sort of uh, stuff was your favourite stuff? I mean, you talked about Wu-Tang. Do, do you have like a favourite hip-hop album or a, a favourite type or anything that you I think it's hard to like get away from the things that are from your youth or the things that first made you fall in love with that, with mm. the music. So it's like, and I actually just think that the golden era is, is truly a golden era. It's not just because everyone's nostalgic. So, you know, things like Brand Nubian's first record, Tribe, Wu-Tang, Biggie's first album, Pete Rock and C.L. first record. And then, you know, there is stuff from later era and things like, you know, whether it's Kendrick's first record or Acid Rain mixtape. There, I mean, there's definitely things. And then there's, you know, as a DJ still playing out actively, there's tons of singles and shit that I like all the time. But the, my, my go-to records are more kind of from that, from that era. Do you think it's less strong as an album uh, genre now than it was? I think everything is less strong. I think across all genres of music, yeah. really, because, you know, everybody's like trying to figure out what to do in this new paradigm. Rap has always been a bit more like DIY, make it up as you go along, just even the way like XXX and everybody sort of like even revolutionized the the length of rap songs just because of SoundCloud and being like, this is all I have to say. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Like, it's almost like when punk came along, it was like, we don't need to be two and a half, three minutes. Like, this is one minute and 40 seconds because that, that's that's it. Um, so I guess like everything is just a bit more, I think you have conceptual artists that still think in terms like it's really important for me to make an album because that's my message and I want to put this together so when people look back at my career they see these kind of succinct things of where I was or what I was trying to say and then there's just other people that like I made a song I want to put it out tomorrow you know yeah, yeah. what did you think of the Kanye seven track album uh, template I didn't really hear it to be honest yeah. you know and I am a massive Kanye fan and actually the life of Pablo is really one of my favorite Kanye records. You mm. fucking love that record. Yeah, and, and maybe one of my favorite 
record to the last 10, 15 years. Friday night, trying to make it into the city. Breakneck speed, passing to see something pretty. Thinking back to how I got here in the first place. Second class bitches wouldn't let me on first base. A backpack nigga with luxury taste buds. And the Louis Vuitton still got all of my pay stubs. Got pussy from beast I did for niggas more famous. When did I become A-list? I wasn't even on A-list. Strippers get invited to where they only got hired. When I get on my C-job, somebody gon' get fired. I was uninspired since Lauren Hill retired. And three stacks, man, you preach it to the choir. But I think it felt a little like hectic everything around it and I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll sit with it but I think even just as being such a lifelong fan of Kanye like I just felt like maybe I don't need to digest this yet yeah yeah because he had this thing didn't he because he he brought out an album with seven tracks and then Pusha T brought out an album with seven tracks that album's amazing and then he did the album with Cuddy which was Kids seven tracks goes, right yeah and then it was the Nas the latest Nas album had seven like it just he was like I just don't think any album needs to be longer than seven tracks. But then, like, I don't know, if you're putting stuff out on iTunes or whatever, mm. like, digital, you sort of think, well, it just doesn't it, seem to be no, thing it sounds anymore, like it? it sounds a bit like some high concept or, like, an idea that was, like, an interesting, like, parameters and to yeah. limit yourself. But uh, I think that, you know, there's amazing records that are 18 songs, there's great ones that are nine songs, whatever. So you uh, have had, you've always had rappers on your albums and you sort of talked about the fact that your career sort of took off with like Lily Allen and Amy Winehouse and stuff like that. Do you, do you feel like you always have a hip-hop sensibility in what you're doing or did you feel like, you, did you feel yourself moving away from that? I mean, you talked about sort of feeling slightly limited about always having to mix hip-hop and DJing. And... I think that what I kind of realised early on is that like, for some reason when I took like all the all the things that informed me from my hip-hop sensibilities and the stuff and then incorporated it with like a little bit of the live stuff and then it just worked better with sort of people that weren't rappers for some reason and it's not like i would i would love to just be like making blazing hot beats for like everybody in the spotify rap caviar playlist but the truth is except for you know certain people like Rocky or Bronson or like who like to kind of just do something a little more weird usually yeah, yeah. usually I guess the first record that I ever made that had a little bit of buzz was this Nika Costa record Like a Feather and it had this kind of very DJ Premier influence beat because that was my hero at that time with some like little guitars over it and then like the Sly and the Family Stone bass line because I think just doing as just trying to be DJ Premier, I was never gonna do anything super interesting because there's already Premier, and I'm never, I was never gonna be as good as just a sole beatsmith as any of the guys that I loved and worshipped Q Tip, Timberland, Pete Rock, whatever. But when I started to add my own little sensibilities as well from whatever, playing in a band and these kind of things, and then finding a vocalist that like had something like a little odd and unique about it, and that was like, that was when I was finally like, oh cool, like I understand maybe what my talents are so I feel like I'm I'd love to make tracks for rappers all the time but the fact is that the people that respond more to the music that I make tend to be singers but I do um because I guess when you get to be like that old guy in the room and you like have an anecdote like I just about everything like I don't want to be like sound like name droppery but this is a hip-hop show so I remember the first time I was playing that Nika Costa record um it was the D'Angelo Voodoo album release party because she was on the same little label called Chiba Sound that D'Angelo was on and I played that like a feather joint for the first time and uh, DJ Premier comes in the booth and it was like this booth it was like at this club called Central Fly in New York it was like a private booth like you could open a door it was like a, it was like a fucking virgin lounge with like turntables in it mm. and, uh, and he comes up to me and I'm playing this record and the beat's like like primo chop style swung drums and he's like nodding and he's like what's this record and i never met him before so i'm already <laughs> kind of nervous because he's my fucking hero yeah. and i'm like uh it's uh it's it's uh it's nika costa sir like it's called <laughs> it's called like a feather he goes it's like bob his head he's like who made the beat and i'm like do i tell him this like is, is he just gonna yeah. be like oh, like who's this motherfucker like ripping off all my shit and i'm like uh it's, I, I did and he goes 
this shit is hard. <laughs> two minutes, it's just like doing the primo, like head nod the whole time. And I guess because I heard it so much as a primo knockoff, but like I'm not, I'm not as good. I'm not primo, so I'm gonna get it wrong. So actually, what I was thinking was a primo knockoff. Move, he yeah. just heard as like something as was like kind of probably influenced by him, but like a different thing. He wasn't like snatching the record and like breaking it over his knee. Yeah. And then that was like the fun thing about DJing and these having these audiences in front of me because like. I remember playing, I think it was a Jay-Z rock, rock with Familia. I, for some reason, I was like the album launch guy or something. <laughs> so I was playing, a, the, it was a launch maybe for Jay-Z rock with Familia, and I played it. And kind of at peak hour, you know, like everyone's dancing, I got everybody going. And it's it, it was at this club called Fuck on 14th Street called Lotus. So everyone was like, it was the start of like when clubs kind of actually got a little bit annoying in New York. It was all banquettes, not really dance mm. floor like celebrating with champagne but um i was i played this record and and jay-z is like on the closest banquette to the dj booth, so he kind of like leans over the glass which looks a bit like a sneeze guard at wendy's and he goes uh hey man and i haven't really ever had that much interaction with jay-z before i was like hey he's like yo promise me something and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, he's going to say, like, promise me you're never going to play one of your own fucking records at one of my album launch parties again. And I was like, yeah, he's like, yo, promise me you, you, you let me be the, I think he used another word, but I, you let me be the dude to rhyme over this remix when you do the remix. And I couldn't believe it. Like, Jay's like, this beat's like knocking and like Jay-Z's asking me to like be on the remix and like Buster Rhymes like came up to me because he must have known me from DJing in clubs. And he was like... He was like, you did that shit like that. Don't go on, go on. Like he like sang the thing back to himself. It was really like a bit of a dream. It was definitely this dream come true. Like just having this. I'd always wanted to make music and be a producer, composer, or songwriter, whatever. But the DJing thing really blew up in a way that I probably didn't expect it to. So that became six or seven years of, of my life. But, you know, I always wanted to make music. And I was like... I didn't know if I was going to like let go of that dream, but it wasn't it wasn't fully taking off. So when I finally had my first record out, there everybody was like, "Oh shit, that shit is dope!" Like it was it was a, it was exciting, and uh, that led to me getting my the deal with Electra. One of the things they say about uh, comedy is like when you start doing it, it ruins almost all comedy for you. Yeah, is that was that true of producing for you? Like like when when you start getting into it, does that mean you appreciate things on another level or? There's a lot of the stuff you think, oh, that's easy, or... Well, do you still have, like, your favorite classic comedian stuff that mm. you can watch and enjoy, but, like, just as in general, going to a comedy club is just painful? You so, well, it's, it's just, it's like... You, you, yeah, it's a job. Yeah. Partly it's because it's a mm. job. And also, uh, some comedians, uh, and I'm probably guilty of this, but you watch it and you go, I know what you're doing. Like, it's, it's yeah. working and yeah. it's great, but, like, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And then occasionally you watch somebody, like, for me, it'd be, like, someone like a Bill Burr or somebody like that, and you watch him and you go, that, I don't, I can't even see the workings mm, of this. Yeah. Like, this is just fucking amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like... I think with, I think with music, there's something similar. Like, it certainly has never ruined music for me. I mean, definitely, like, when I get in the car, like, after a day in the studio on the way to, to the studio, I usually listen to Howard Stern or something. Like, I definitely don't need to hear music all the time. But there's still, like, shit that I really love. I love listening to new stuff because I just, like, there's shit that's exciting and I want to be up on it. I mean, there I can't listen to, like, if I'm in a restaurant and, like, having dinner with a girl, whoever it is, and there's something playing in the background remotely, like, I will definitely get distracted and be like, I wonder, is that, how do they record that snare drum? It's probably a ribbon mic. And, like, like this kind of thing, like, it's really hard. There's no way I could listen to music during sex because, like, just the... The being affected by the rhythm change like whatever it is or just being distracted again by like the sound of a kick drum would be like it's just I can't do it I mean it's kind of goofy like no one really actually puts on Barry White and then like it says like let's get it so on Romish puts his comedy on yeah I just put, yeah I try to I tend to yeah. it, sort of, it just makes me slightly harder <laughs> yeah and I just, it just helps. Is it the audio get, or the the visual? Just depends yeah. on what the scenario is. Sometimes you know, yeah. it just helps me get a bit of extra purchase. You know what I mean? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll try. Purchase. I'm going to try watching your comedy next time I have sex. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be easier for me. Please, please do. Um, he com- tried to sell all these. What's that, baby? No, he had to sell all these seats. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
You want to go fat fast? Well, no, they're on the stage because he didn't sell the floor seats. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll slow down. So you got a new album coming out? I do, yes. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so... It's, is that the shittest question you've ever been no, asked? No, no, it's okay. easy because I know and it was actually a genius question because you just gave me a blank canvas okay, to great, present great, my great, own great. messaging. Okay. No, uh, I think, first of all, making a record is, is obviously something that like is no, it's not weird in these times that like a DJ producer because there's so many of them, but the concept of it still is like, if you really think about it, it's pretty strange. Basically, my first record came out with Uwe and like I said, sold seven copies when I got dropped by Elektra. And then when I was DJing in these hip hop clubs and playing rock tunes, like, you know, there were certain songs you could get away with, but you couldn't play like Radiohead and the Smiths and this stuff. So I just thought like, I just was bored in the studio fucking around. I was like, okay, well, if I make these kind of versions of these songs that I really love, like Radiohead, Justin, but make them in a way that I could probably get them over in my crowd in the set. So that was a record I really made from by myself and Giles Peterson and Zane started playing this white label in the UK and then that kind of reignited this thing and I had this album versions and worked with Lily and Amy so that kind of blew me up. So that suddenly changed it so to the fact that like, oh, I have a record deal and I got to make a record every three years. So every three years I have this like slight not existential crisis where I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? And I have to come up with like a almost like a concept to like get me excited so record collection was a bit like synths and breakbeats and then the last album uptown special was like me and jeff basker who produced the record with me like let's take a road trip through the south and i guess because i don't write from like this very emotionally honest open place i need that concept like cons like conceptually like launch the record this album was a completely different thing because I had to break up of my marriage and I just was like just feeling fucking emo all the time and melancholy and I was like there's no I've never put my emotions into my music before which is also quite an odd thing for someone who's worked with such like emotional wellsprings like people like whatever Amy Winehouse or Lady Gaga whoever um, but with my own music for whatever reason I'm always like no I'm the DJ I got it who wants to fucking who the fuck cares about how the DJ's feeling? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, imagine there's like Westwood on the mic. Like, I had a tough day today. <laughs> like, I bet he did. That well. was yeah. a really bad existential crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, the amazing video of him having the existential crisis is most deaf. Yeah. Have you seen that video no, on YouTube? No, I've not seen that. Like, it's amazing. It's it's one of the one and like 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 I think all things with Westwood, he's probably actually two meta phases ahead of what you're even watching so right. like i don't know if it's like how much or like how much he's he's playing into like our perception but it's fucking genius so most comes up and it's when he's doing uh maybe one extra in the daytime and uh, most has a new record to promote this is like five years ago and uh and he comes in there having a chat and he's like i'm here with most deaf and like they're talking how long i know you and he plays miss fat booty and most is like, yeah, so that's how it is. Huh? Like, I got a new record to promote, and you're playing my song from like 15 years ago. <laughs> and then he, Tim Weiser just goes into this entire monologue, like this totally vulnerable thing about how he no longer controls and he's not even in charge of the playlist. And there's a woman next door telling him, I don't know who the program director was, like telling him what to play. He's like, I'm a joke. Like, I don't even, oh I used God. to go. He's like, I don't even get to choose the songs anymore and then he looks at the the sound desk and he looks like you know with the up and down like faders he goes ah. he's like i used to be on faders that went left to right now i'm just going up and <laughs> oh down and it's, it's the greatest <laughs> and he's smiling while he's saying it you know he like knows it's funny but it's just so fucking wonderful so anyway um, back to my album. It's based. Um, it's based on that moment. Yeah, album. exactly. Yeah. So, so I I was just go. I wasn't you know trying to make an emotional record or whatever. But I would say like generally, I'm a pretty emotionally probably closed off guy anyway. So it's not going to be like in my nature to be like I'm going to tell the world how I'm feeling today in song. But I just I got into this kind of place, and the only things that I was writing in the studio and with a couple of different songwriters and people I worked with were like things that were kind of raw and honest. And you know, a lot of the time they would bring the lyrics, I'd just be bringing the music. But if only the only things that felt relevant to me were things that like kind of moved me, were a little sad, 
still had like nice bass lines and tracks and that's kind of how I got this record so I guess as opposed to all my previous records where we always make the beat first or the track first or have a like a jam like bang 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 or uptown funk any of these records start with a jam and then we figure out like okay well what lyrics do we put or like is this a rapper song lyrics and stuff they, they almost always become an afterthought with my record whereas this is the opposite this is like let's start with a song let's convey an emotion that we fucking feels real and like hits us here as he points to his chest yeah and then uh, and then we can figure out what the beat and the bass line are after that so that's kind of so you're working you're me. working with the vocalists from the ground up on like what you're going to talk what they're going to talk about or sing about or whatever right yeah sometimes sometimes they kind of come in and like like I'd have a chord or maybe a melody there's one song writer named Ilse who really wrote like a lot of this record with me because she's just like I think like a kind of slightly melancholy person too so she was she's amazing with melodies so she was like we'd start some things like ground up me and her and then you know she happened to be working with Lee K. Lee on Lee K.'s album at the time and the other idea we had the seed of something we sent it to Miley and then Angel Olsen is this amazing singer who I love who like in I mean talk about fucking an LA story like I heard her because it was playing through the wall the next room when I was in my Pilates class so <laughs> that's not embarrassing story she'd be like how did you how did you first hear my music Mike I'd be like uh boxing gym bar <laughs> uh, it was meant to be heard yeah so yeah so there, it's always like a little every song kind of like comes together in a little bit of a uh, like has its own weird like genesis but um it's usually like me and the artist or like i've got like a couple chords and someone jumps on top of that cool and that when does that come out it's june right the... that comes out june 21st yeah. okay well we look forward to hearing that listen mark we're out of time but um you've been what do you think we're the best guest ever 100 percent. yeah oh my god yeah. Right. do you Thanks. not have we can a, have a part guess? two <laughs> No, this is it. Okay. Yeah, this is pretty much it. Uh, But look, thank you so much, man. Good luck with the new album, and we uh, we appreciate you coming on. I did a double thumbs up there, like an absolute fucking arsehole. I did. I just got my arms crossed. Oh, God. And then I referenced it. Uh, All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 